Today we're continuing in our series entitled, Our Picture of God. And last week we began with this quote from the book, Great Controversy, 569. It is Satan's constant effort to misrepresent the character of God. All of us have received from society, from culture, perhaps even our parents, a distorted picture of God. I was at a meeting with some colleagues and conference president, not in the uh, lower 48 or even in America for that matter, stood up and he gave his personal testimony. He said he was 11 years of age or just turned 11. It was his birthday, jumped out of bed and said, Dad, it's my birthday, it's my birthday. And he went on to tell how his dad said, oh, it's your birthday, huh? And beat his son. And this grown man with tears in his eyes, years later, recounting that memory, said that shook him to his very core and really shaped his picture of God for years for years, and it wasn't until recently that he was able to understand that that was an inaccurate picture of who God was. Can you imagine? And so we have been tainted by propaganda in regards to who God is, and none of us have had the privilege of meeting God face to face, at least I haven't, We haven't met him in person, and so we are in this interesting dilemma because all of the billboards, as it were, all of society, because of sin, is painting a certain slant, a certain misrepresentation of who God is, and this is Satan's constant effort to do this, and I would guarantee that most of us, if not all of us, have certain things in our minds in regard to who God is that couldn't be farther from the truth that we've perhaps struggled with. This is from Steps of Christ, page 10. Satan led men to conceive of God as a being whose chief attribute is stern justice, one who is a severe judge, a harsh, exacting creditor, He pictured the Creator as a being who is watching with jealous eye to discern the errors and mistakes of men that he may visit judgments upon them. Satan's been pretty successful in this picture, hasn't he? Don't you have this fear almost in the back of your mind sometimes when you make a mistake that God is up there ready to swat you? I mean, this is a fear that people have. And look at this. She goes on. It was to remove this dark shadow by revealing to the world the infinite love of God that Jesus came to live among men. Sometimes when I meet someone for the first time, they say, oh, David, I've heard a lot about you. And I wonder what they've been told. Has it been an accurate picture? And I give the person the benefit of doubt, assuming all the good intentions. But here is someone that has ill intentions who is out there 
to give us a false picture of who God is. Desire of Ages, page 19, by coming to dwell with us, Jesus was to reveal God both to men and to angels. He was the Word of God, God's thought made audible. The entire universe was watching when Jesus was on this earth. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to be alive in the first century? Every gesture, every tone, every look, every act, every micro gesture, I would say, was a revelation of who God was. And the apostles recorded it for our benefit. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, our scripture reading, for the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. When you look at the face of Jesus, as depicted in the Gospels, it gives us a picture of who God is. So today, our vignette, our focus is found in John chapter 18, verse 28. I invite you to turn with me there in the final moments of the life of Jesus. Jesus before Pilate, as we look at this story and get a glimpse as to who God really is. John chapter 18, verse 28. This is in Pilate's court. While you're turning there, this is an inscription that was found in 1961 there in the Middle East bearing the inscription of Pilate. Pilate was an individual that was not afraid to use lethal force. Josephus records that There was an uprising in the temple, and Pilate issued his Roman soldiers. They went in there, and they cut the Jews down. There was another instance in which he assigned his Roman soldiers to dress like Jews, and in the midst of protests, they brandished their swords and cut down the Jewish protesters. Pilate was an individual that was not afraid to use force. He was a hardened, mean man. And he was not in a good mood when the Jews came to him early that morning. We pick up in our story in John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but they might eat the Passover. This is the irony of ironies, because here the Jews are plotting to kill the Son of God, but they don't want to receive ceremonial defilement. Classic, isn't it? And in verse 29, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And the story goes on for a little bit because Pilate does not want to prosecute or condemn Jesus to death. And in verse 30, then they answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Now, as we piece together this story from the different aspects of the Gospels, my thesis this morning is around this notion that Pilate did not want to kill Jesus. He did not want to have the guilt of condemning an innocent man to death. And you can see this in Luke's account, Luke chapter 23, verse 4, Pilate turned to the leading priest and said to the crowd, and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Luke chapter 23, verse 14, you brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him what? Find him innocent. 
Verse 22, why, what crime has he committed? I find no reason to sentence him to death. So over and over and over again, Pilate is proclaiming this man is innocent. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 21, the Bible explicitly states that Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. In the interview with Jesus in the back of his palace, Pilate immediately realizes that this man is innocent. And so he sends him off to Herod. Herod has a little bit of fun with him, sends him back. This is a problem that is simply not going away. In Luke chapter, uh, John chapter 19, verse 12, the Bible says Pilate tried to set Jesus free. And then to make things even more complicated, while Pilate is trying to make up his mind in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, while Pilate was sitting in the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message and said, don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So Pilate right now really wants to release Jesus. And you know the story. He says, I have an idea. I'm going to get Barabbas, who is a hardened criminal. Surely, if they had the pick between the two, they're going to pick Jesus to be released. Now, there was a turning point in this story where Pilate gave an inch and the rest was history. It emboldened the crowd. And this was the turning point. We find it in Luke chapter 23, verse 22. I have found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged and then I will release him. Notice the odd nature of this statement. He says, look, he's innocent, but I'm going to have him flogged. And in the minds of the people, they're like, okay, the pressure's working because he's willing to have an innocent man be flogged within an inch of his life. Now, we need to understand that the floggings in Jesus' day were not what we imagine or would even like to imagine a muscular Roman soldier would have a whip. On the end of the whip would be lead balls, scraps of bone. And the theory was that 40 lashes would kill someone, so they would give them 39. So Jesus is there, and here is a quotation from a physician Dr. William Edwards, who's a doctor at the Mayo Clinic, and this is his analysis of what would take place with a Roman scourging. Here it is. As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions, and the leather thongs and sheep bones would cut into the skin and subcutaneous tissue. Then as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. This was a horrifying experience. Eusebius 
puts it graphically, he's the church historian, Eusebius said, for they say that the bystanders were struck with amazement when they saw them lacerated with scourges, even to the innermost veins and arteries, so that the hidden inward parts of the body, both their bowels and their members were exposed to view. This was brutal. So Jesus is there, back lacerated, and after the scourging, in Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 27, verse 27 through 31, in the New Living Translation, the soldiers gathered around Jesus, the soldiers assigned to the governor, took Jesus into the governor's palace and the entire brigade together for some fun. They stripped him and dressed him in a red robe. They plaited a crown of branches, a thorn bush, and set it on his head. They put a stick in his right hand for a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mocking reverence. Bravo, king of the Jews, they said, bravo. Then they spit on him and hit him on the head with, a, with the stick. And when they had their fun, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. They didn't bandage him. They didn't wash his wounds. They just put the clothes right on him. Likely, he's bleeding through his clothes. Blood dropping on the floor of the marble Pilate's palace. And there Jesus is standing before Pilate. I want to focus in on a few words of the conversation between Pilate and Jesus after the flogging. And here are the words of Jesus to Pilate after the flogging. He has just been flogged within an inch of his life after being proclaimed innocent. And so Jesus is standing there and these are the words of Jesus to Pilate. Look at the nuances of this. John chapter 19, verse 11, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. The one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. What is Jesus saying in this statement? Notice the words greater. It's kind of like if someone smacked me, I'd say, you know what, um, there's actually someone that is even more culpable than you. Now, the ASB, the Andrews Study Bible commentary, put it this way. Jesus thoughtfully absolves Pilate of blame to the degree possible under the circumstances. Let me read that again. Jesus thoughtfully absolves Pilate of blame to the degree possible under the circumstances. In other words, in this painful moment when Jesus has just been flogged and he's literally bleeding in front of Jesus to the person that has just hurt him and wounded him, Jesus is looking for grace to the most degree possible under the circumstances. Jesus is not like, you know what? I'm going to be coming for you in the judgment, and you're going to get it, buddy. Do you know who I am? That is not in Jesus' vernacular. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to absolve you, 
as much as is possible. The posture of Jesus in relationship to someone that has hurt him and is unrepentant is not condemnation. Rather, it's like, you know what? I'm going to look for grace in this situation. What is your response as a human being when someone has wounded you? Hmm? I'll tell you what mine is. You've been hurt. My, my natural response is just to withdraw. It's like, I don't want anything to do with this person. Some of you may not be flight, it may be fight. Get angry, lash out. All of these are natural human responses. But here we see a revelation of the character of God in a painful moment when all of the condemnation in the world could have been warranted and justified against Pilate for his lack of backbone. And there Jesus is bleeding and he says, you know what? I'm gonna look for grace. Not a word of condemnation. The lesson that we can draw from this interaction of Jesus with Pilate is this. When we sin, God's natural impulse is grace. Amen? Let me read that again. When we sin, God's natural impulse is grace. That's who he is. We say that character is revealed in pressurized circumstances. You want to know who someone is? Get close to that person in a very stressful situation. It will come out. Well, here is Jesus in a very stressful, painful situation. And the first impulse of Jesus, the natural impulse, is grace. When we sin, God's natural impulse is grace. When we wrong Jesus, he's not looking for ways to condemn us. He's looking for ways to absolve us. God's first impulse is always to look for grace. This is the picture of God that he wants to present. And I'll be honest, there are times when I make a mistake because of so much of the propaganda that has been promulgated that I feel like God is not there to give grace. He is there to say, you know what, David, what is the matter with you? That, that is the, the fear in the back of my mind, even as a minister, after all these years. You know, it's like, it's just this haunting specter that I just have to struggle and wrestle with, and I turn to 1 John 1, 9, and I kneel before the Lord, and I say, praise God, this is still here. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reality is, this is who God is. The impulse of God is to say, David, grace. I'm looking for every single way to absolve you 
as much as possible. This is how God related to Pilate. This is exactly how he relates to us. No vindictiveness, no harshness, no retribution. It's, I'm looking for as many ways to get you out of the situation as possible. What a beautiful picture of God. I think of this statement in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is in the business of saving us. And he is looking for every possible way to bring us to the point of total surrender to him. And he is working in our lives for that end. When we sin, God's first impulse is to look for grace. And I'm wondering if there's someone here today Perhaps you've struggled with your picture of God. Perhaps you've, whether from parents or from society or from even the church, you have a picture of God that is exacting. You have a picture of God of someone that is looking out to get you. You have a picture of God where he is a stern and exacting individual. I want to invite you to look at the face of Jesus Christ today. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that you are not an individual that is a harsh, exacting individual. We thank you that you're a God of love and tender mercy, and we thank you today for grace. And I'm wondering if someone today wants to say, Lord, I want to accept you as my Savior into my life and know that I have eternal salvation. If that's your desire, I want to invite you to raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to accept you as Savior into my life. We thank you that to know Jesus is also to love him. And we pray that in our walk with you, that you would help us to fall in love with this picture of God. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.